Thanks for tuning in for Access Utah. Before we jump into a very interesting topic for today, public lands in Utah. I want to finish unfinished business uh, from uh, earlier. And uh, this is Ross uh, Trowbridge, who has emailed us. Thanks for that, Ross. He says, I'm listening uh, to Tuesday's Access Utah about fan films and copyright. Ross says, I'm part of the local Star Trek club, USS Rendezvous. We've made two Star Trek fan films, Star Trek Rendezvous, having a lot of fun creating them. I've also uh, helped out uh, the Project Potemkin fan films out of Alabama, creating some of their CGI shots. Axanar, along with Renegades, really brought things to a head for CBS and Paramount. In the past, the fan films were low-budget productions financed by the people who actually created the film. Phase 2 and Star Trek Continues created some incredible work on limited budgets with only minor fundraising. CBS Paramount graciously turned a blind eye to these small productions, but Axanar, in particular, really changed the playing field, using funds donated for quote-unquote fan film to pay for a new studio and provide working salaries, uh, and their crew put CBS Paramount... uh, that made CBS Paramount ignore any uh, hard to ignore any longer. They had to step in and defend their intellectual property. Our group has put any plans to do another Star Trek fan film on hold. We realize we're playing in somebody else's sandbox and have to abide by their rules. We're looking at original work and other genres for filmmaking. We still love Star Trek. Our full-size shuttlecraft is sitting in the lobby of Movies 5 right now. We uh, just won't be making any more Star Trek videos. Sounds like uh, you're having a lot of fun there, and thanks for responding to that very interesting program. That's Ross Trowbridge. Thanks for that. Uh, You can find that program on fandom, what it means to be a fan, on our website, upr.org. Welcome now to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. In the wake of U.S. Interior Secretary Sally Jewell's recent visit to the area being proposed by some for designation of the Bears Ears National Monument, and in the wake of a uh, very interesting meeting yesterday in uh, Blanding, a uh, hearing of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, led by uh, Senator Mike Lee, uh, which was mostly attended, it appears, by opponents of such a designation. Uh, we are going to consider today, once again, public lands issues in Utah. Representatives Rob Bishop and Jason Chaffetz have released their public lands initiative legislation for consideration by the U.S. House of Representatives. Representative Chris Stewart has introduced an amendment to the Interior Appropriations Bill that would restrict the President's ability to create national monuments in Utah and other areas under the Antiquities Act. And the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition is pushing for President Obama to create a national monument in southern Utah. We're going to discuss these issues today on the program. Later in the program, we'll be talking with the executive director of the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, and we'll be talking to Ute Mountain Ute Councilwoman Regina Lopez-Whiteskunk, who is with the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition. Uh, We want to know what you think. Uh, Should President Obama declare a Bears Ears National Monument? Should the president's power to create national monuments be restricted? And what do you think about the Public Lands Initiative in its uh, current uh, final form that's been uh, introduced? These issues are on the table. We welcome your call to 1-800-826-1495. We'll be opening the phone lines in about 15 minutes. 1-800-826-1495. You can get your email to us right now at upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com. We already have uh, quite a few emails. Thank you for that response. We'll be getting all of those 
those on during the hour. And we'd love to hear your uh, question or comment to upraxis at uh, gmail.com. You can also reach us by Twitter. We're at upraxis. We begin with a recorded interview with Representative Chris Stewart. He represents uh, District 2 in Utah, which uh, includes quite a a large swath of Utah, as you'll hear from the interview, going from areas of Salt Lake City down to southwestern uh, Utah. Um, We uh, had hoped to get him on live, but he had a, a conflicting meeting today. But we are very grateful he was able to come on with us uh, today. So you won't be able to respond directly to Representative Stewart, but uh, I think you'll find the interview with him interesting and get your questions and comments ready as we go live later in the program. Here's that interview recorded yesterday with Representative Stewart. What are you hearing from your constituents about uh, public lands issues? Uh, it's been much in the news, of course. Uh, Representative uh, Bishop and Chaffetz uh, released their public lands initiative. Uh, Secretary Jewell was... Uh, was in uh, southern Utah amid uh, calls by some for a Bears Ears National Monument uh, designation. Uh, maybe just start general. What are you hearing, the, the key points from your constituents? Well, you know, if you look at my district, it's downtown Salt Lake City, uh, and then we wrap west and all the way south down here to St. George. So this is a an enormously important issue for almost everyone in my district, although from different perspectives. If you go to the avenues uh, in Salt Lake City, uh, they certainly hold a view on it, but it's quite different than the people I talk with in, you know, Millard County or in St. George or, you know, uh, other, other r- more rural parts of my district. But the, the, the reality is, is, I mean, there's one county in the 2nd Congressional District that's 97% controlled by the federal government. There's two counties that are about 90%. So that being the case, it's easy to understand that this is an enormous, enormously important issue for a lot of these folks, and it impacts their lives almost on a daily basis. So generally, it, it, it's an emotional issue for people. It's a very important issue, and it's one that we spend quite a lot of time trying to deal with. I'm guessing people in the avenues might be a little more disposed to, uh, say, National Monument designation or, or uh, you know, more wilderness area people in in those counties where it's uh, predominantly uh, federal government, uh, they would oppose in general yeah. uh, further designation? Uh, I think that's probably true. I mean, with, with various exceptions, but, uh, but I think that's, you know, a, a fair kind of sweeping with the broad brush, but that's, I think, probably a fair assumption. And, and they come at it from very, very different, uh, you know, motives as well. If you're a rancher down here in central part of the state, in the southern part of the state, I spent... Uh, most of the day yesterday with a group of ranchers who, uh, you know, are, are dealing with issues with wild horses. And these, these poor horses, I grew up ranching and farming, and I love animals. And, I, and, I, and you know, if, if you come out here and you see a herd of horses that are starving to death, and you see the range that's been destroyed from that, and then you talk with the ranchers and realize how difficult it is for them now, that's a different view than if you are, say, meeting with someone in, you know, downtown Salt Lake City, who they view public lands primarily through a recreational lens. Uh, a preservation lens, and and they're not mutually exclusive. That's that's one of the first things I would say to folks is is you know it doesn't have to be an either or situation. There really are really are enough I think ways that we could accommodate both interests. Those of us who live in Utah uh, love Utah. That's the reason we live here. When I got out of the Air Force, I was writing books. I could have lived you know virtually anywhere in the world, but I chose to live in Utah because I love this state. I love to rock climb. I love to ski. I mean, I'm going to be at Zion Park this afternoon and this evening hiking. Uh, so I think many of us want to preserve, you know, the truly beautiful and unique aspects of the state. 
But at the same time, we want to protect livelihoods and jobs and, and create a situation where families can, you know, look to a future and know that they can have a job that can support a family. And that's the challenge we have is trying to do both. Uh, and I wonder, can you do both? It seems like it's just gotten more polarized in the last few years. Yeah, it really has, and it's unfortunate. And the reality is, is you've got certain groups who actually don't want to solve the problem because they use it to fundraise. And if they can have the controversy, that's helpful for them in fundraising. You've got some groups who, you know, on the other side, are so entrenched in, you know, their distrust of the federal government that it's hard for, you know, you to bring them to the table on nearly any issue. So, you know, it is it is more polarizing, it is more challenging, but it can be done, and I think a good example of it being done is Rob Bishop's uh, PLI. Uh, I mean, that's out on the, on the eastern side of the state. That's not my district, so I haven't been directly involved with it other than supporting the effort uh, because, again, it, it lies outside of my district. But I think that's a good example where they truly did bring, you know, groups with very different agendas, very different interests, uh, and they brought that to the table, and it took a long time. It took, you know, what, more than three years now, and and just a tremendous effort. But I think, I think it's a it's a real reflection of when you when you bring two people to the table and and you commit to trying to accommodate these different interests, that you can make some progress on it. So you think that you think Bill I got it got it about right? Uh, competing interests to balance them out. Well, I do, and I think the, I think the process kind of is evidence of that. That you know, there wasn't one group who who walks away from that claiming a great victory. Everyone re- realized they had to give up something in order for that to work. But the the thing that I support about PLI and, and these other initiatives is is it, it's it's a local solution, or it tries as best it can be to be a local solution. One of my great fears and the great objection I have is when the federal government from Washington D.C with decisions made by people who maybe have never set foot in the state of Utah and might not ever come to Utah. But they're giving enormous power and influence on decisions that have, uh, you know, great impact on those of us who do live here. And, uh, and my goal is to try to make all of those decisions made as much as possible with input from the local folks rather than just having it made back in Washington. And those of us who are from Utah feeling like we were excluded from being able to have our voices heard. This might be a good segue then to your amendment, amendment to the uh, the, the Interior Appropriations uh, Bill, an amendment which would, uh, I think, restrict the President's ability under the Antiquities Act to create a national monument in Utah. Yeah. Well, and not just in Utah, but in various counties around the West primarily, okay. including some actually on the East Coast as well. And the reason we identified those counties is because they were potential sites for creation of monuments, and they had local opposition, or at least the local populations hadn't felt like they'd have input to that decision. And I, I think just generally speaking about the Antiquities Act, it was never the intention of Congress that a president would be able to do like President Clinton did. I mean, he, he didn't even come to Utah. He stood in Arizona. And he pointed to Utah and said, I'm creating 1.8 million acre national monument over there. And he didn't meet with the, with the local folks who were going to be impacted by that. He didn't meet with the local legislatures or the governor. He did it entirely among his friends in Washington, D.C., and I think that's the thing we're trying to avoid. Hmm. That wasn't the intention of Congress, that a president would be able to create a multi-million acre monument without the input of those who would be most affected by it. So, you know, the, our our hope in that in that provision was to take that uh, you know that option off the table and to force the federal government to consider 
again, local governors, the the local congressional delegation, the senators and the commissioners and mayors and other people who, as I've said now a couple times, who are most impacted by a decision that's made in Washington. Mm. And I can I can take your point about, uh, you know, the president sitting in Washington with stroke of a pen, uh, but uh, how, how do you respond to, I, I'm sure there are local groups uh, in, uh, in the area of uh, Bears ears, pr- proposed Bears ears, are saying we're local and we're we're supporting this. We're all for it. Yeah, yeah, there are some who do, uh, and and you know, and we're we're glad that uh, that they have a chance to have their voice heard as well. So we're not. I, I, I'm not suggesting that virtually everyone in the state opposes Bears ears, or 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 you know, I don't think anyone could say that everyone in the state supports it. It's a mixed bag. There's no doubt. Which is why hearing those voices is so important because there is uh, there are different opinions. Uh, how would if if the president's ability would be if if your uh, amendment passed, the president was restricted from uh, using the Antiquities Act to create a national monument? Uh, go back to Congress, would it? Uh, that Congress yeah. would have the we take it back to Congress. Yeah, exactly, and that's the whole point of this. Is that's the process. That's what the way it should be a congressional initiative. And why? Because the Congress is going to be responsive to all of the interests that are that are going to be impacted by it. Um, you know, when when uh, when the president stands up and, as he said, you know, very famously in the State of the Union address a few years ago, I have a phone and a pen and I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to bypass Congress. And, you know, some of my, not some, virtually all of my Democratic colleagues in the House of Representatives stand up and cheer at that. And I look at them and I say, are you guys nuts? For heaven's sakes, the president just said to you he doesn't care about your district. He doesn't care about the 700,000 people that you represent. He doesn't care about you as a congressperson. Uh, and, and they think that's a good idea. I just think that's, like I said, I think that's nuts. For heaven's sakes, the president, the executive, and the congression, uh, congressional side should work together on these things. And, and, and this process is far better served through a congressional initiative than through an executive action because it forces you to, uh, to consider all of the different voices at the table and to be responsive to those, whereas executive action in Washington, D.C., I believe, is less responsive. I want to just uh, ask you a question about the PLI. Um, this is uh, Representative Bishop's uh, attempt, as he says, to bring everybody to the to the table. Long in the making, he points out. But there are uh, groups who very vehemently oppose it, um, and uh, you know, a certain segment of the population down there uh, just, in the end, d- you know, is not going to support PLI. Do you, do you think it's a, a good process, and do you think it's going to pass? Uh, well, it's certainly a good process because, as, as we've said a number of times, and, and you just said in, in asking your question, I mean, it was uh, a long time in coming. It took hundreds of meetings. I mean, I don't know anyone. One thing that people can't say is they didn't have a chance to have input to the process because, I mean, everyone did. Uh, and, you know, it took place over three years or more. Uh, so, uh, and at the end of the day, you're right. Some people are still going to oppose it, but, you know, that's just life, unfortunately. I mean, I, I suppose that that's true of nearly every situation. Uh, but at least there was a fair process and everyone had a chance to be heard. And I think everyone kind of gave up a little bit. They gave up something to get some of the things that they that they wanted. And, and I think that's, uh, that's in the, an indicator of a, of a fair process that, you know, looks very broadly and tries to pick something. You ask if it's, uh, you know, what the prospects are on it. I, I'm optimistic. I think that, that, that it's such on, on such solid foundation. I think it's going to be 
uh, well, uh, Rob is going to hold both hearings this fall, but I think uh, I think it's very likely that that's going to move forward. And Senator Lee would take it up in the in the Senate, right? If uh, if it passed in the in the House, you think it makes it through the Senate? Because we're we're uh, quite a ways away. The Sen- yeah, the Senate's tougher, but the Senate's tougher and everything is. And oh my heavens, I mean, those of us who work in the House and send bill after bill after bill to the Senate, where it dies in that great graveyard. Uh, <laughs> You know, the presided over by Harry Reid, who, you know, has made a career of the last few years of, you know, stopping and blocking initiatives from the House. So, yeah, there's no question the Senate is harder. But uh, what someone has to argue is that this initiative was was not fair or that it has a bad outcome. And I think it's hard to argue that. Uh, and, and if they'll look at it fairly and, and not with an agenda that they're going to vote against it just out of, you know, out of just you know, pure political or ideological reasons, I I think it's got a fair shake in the Senate. Mm. What about your amendment uh, regarding the President's power under the Antiquities Act to create national monuments? I think it's passed out of committee now. It'll be considered. uh, What are the prospects? Yeah, you know, that's one thing about the Appropriations Committee that I sit on, and, and, you know, being such a powerful committee. I mean, I don't know, it's been since the 1970s, I think, since Utah had someone in Congress who sits on the Appropriations Committee, and it gives us this opportunity to put provisions like this in the spending bills that have a much more likelihood of being considered and actually, you know, being legislated into law. So uh, we are optimistic as well. Now, we understand we've got challenges, and we understand the President... uh, the president has threatened to veto, veto this. I hope that he does, and I hope that we could maybe, you know, sit down with the White House and, and ask them, are there things that we could do <clears throat> that would accommodate you, that would accommodate some of the concerns that you have? And I look forward to having that conversation with them. Hmm. The uh, potential designation of Bears Ears National Monument, uh, I want to ask uh, whether the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition, which is pushing for this, among other uh, groups, uh, they, I don't think, have asked for you know special consideration or special status, uh, special standing on this. I wonder what you feel about that. Uh, the the uh, the Native Americans that area that area who are well, pushing for this. Well, I mean, obviously, obviously, they they are impacted by this at least as much as any other individuals, and probably more so because they have such a historical and a cultural tie to the Bears Ears and to that area. Uh, one of the narratives that you hear in the press and others, and, and from the administration is that, you know, there's unanimous support among tribal entities, and that's just not true. We know that's not true. I've met with many of them who express concern that it's going to restrict their access or, or you know, that uh, it's going to restrict, in some cases, economic, uh, economic opportunities for them. So, the, you know, the, the range of their concerns is, like the rest of us, fairly broad. But, again... The perspective that the White House would like to like us to believe is that uh, you know that it's unanimously supported among tribal entities, and that's just not the case. And by the way, a lot of those tribal entities who do support it are from outside the state. And having met with some of them, it, it occurred to me that I think some of the reasons that they support it is they're hoping they'll create the monument here in Utah and they'll leave them alone. That you know, creating this what might be nearly two million acre monument in Utah. It takes off the table, and they don't have to worry about them having the same thing occur in their state or in their county. Uh, and and it's fairly self-serving if that's if that's the case. But uh, you know, w- w- these tribal leaders, uh, we want them to be heard, just like we would want other people to be heard. And maybe even recognizing that again, their cultural and historical ties to the area do give them a bit of a special voice here. The uh, if uh, the president does not. 
declare a, a Bears Ears National Monument, or perhaps if your amendment is successful, restricting him that ability. Um, Representative Bishop uh, does point out, and Representative Chase as well, in the PLI there is a plan, 1.4 million acre plan, versus the 1.9 National Monument proposed uh, for the Bears Ears region. Uh, can I assume that did you feel that, that is sufficient, the plan under the PLI? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, and, and so we're not splitting hairs, but we're both kind of moving in the same direction. I mean, Rob's uh, and Jason, that, that initiative, is, as you just said, 1.4 million designation, 1.4 million acre. Uh, so, and I, that's a good indicator of what we said earlier, and that is most of us want to protect uh, certain uh, parts of our wonderful state. I mean, there are some parts of our state that sh- truly should be wilderness. Uh, but but it doesn't have to be such an either or. There could be you know there could be accommodations where we consider some of the other voices, and uh, and once once again I think PLI is a good example of that. Well, uh, thank you very much, Representative Chris Stewart has uh, joined us. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's always a pleasure. I hope to do it again. Okay, thank you very much. So Representative Chris Stewart, uh, we apologize we uh, weren't able to get a live interview on today because of uh, schedule conflicts, but we do appreciate him uh, coming on with this recorded interview from uh, yesterday. Uh, coming up, we're going to be talking with uh, Scott Gurney, Executive Director of Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. Later in the program, a Ute Mountain Ute Councilwoman Regina Lopez-Whiteskunk. Uh, she's with the Bears Ears Intertribal uh, Coalition. We're uh, throwing out these questions to you. Should President Obama declare a Bears Ears National Monument? Or should the president's power to create national monuments be restricted? And what do you think about the uh, finalized and released public lands initiative released by Representatives uh, Bishop and uh, Chaffetz? Uh, The number is 1-800-826-1495. Toll free, 1-800-826-1495. We'd love to get your questions or comments. And you can email us to upraxis at gmail.com. Before we uh, go to a break, I want to bring in our first caller. This is Tom in Vernal. Tom, glad you called. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'd like to respond to uh, something that Representative Stewart said, where he uh, he was claiming that any outside observer would would have to say that this was a fair and uh, just result that's that's in the PLI. I would only ask any impartial observers out there, if if there are any left, to consider what the significant conservation groups have said. They've all denounced the PLI all down the line. Sierra Club. Wilderness Society, Natural Resources Defense Council, everybody, Grand Canyon Trust, has said that the PLI is clearly not a good bill, does not give conservationists a good result. So, to me, it, it, it does not seem to an impartial observer that this could possibly be as fair and as balanced as uh, Mr. Stewart was representing. Hmm. I wonder, just to follow up, uh, Tom, this uh, Representative Bishop, he, he goes takes great pains to say this is a long process. He tried to bring everybody to the table, and uh, he wants a balance. And that's where it is, isn't it? That's it's, it's this idea of balance, and I don't know if there can be agreement among all the parties. Well, we've been involved with that process from the get-go. I mean, I remember the very first bus tours that were taken uh, in eastern Utah to, to discuss these issues. And I've tried to be uh, a, a significant and useful contributor, but I see nothing of what I have sought as a conservationist emerge from the PLI bill. Instead, every single aspect of it is, is tainted. Rather than getting some sort of a conservation gain, you get wilderness areas with RS-2477 routes across them. Uh, you get frozen grazing levels 
that can never be reduced. There is no clear-cut, unambiguous gain for, for me as a conservationist that I can see. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's going to be tremendously detrimental to the economy of eastern Utah. Okay, Tom, I appreciate your perspective. Sounds like you've been involved in the process. I appreciate your perspective. Well, thank you. That's uh, Tom and Vernal. He called 1-800-826-1495. You can as well. Love to get your perspective on the PLI, Public Lands Initiative, uh, on uh, proposed Bears Ears National Monument, on the President's power to create national monuments under the Antiquities Act. We're discussing all these issues and more. And we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to have uh, with us the Executive Director of Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. Later in the program, Ute, Ute Mountain Ute Councilwoman Regina Lopez-Whiteskunk from the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition. And I hope you at 1-800-826-1495 or by email to upraccess at gmail.com.